let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive into our final message of this series that we started several weeks ago and stopped several weeks ago and restarted several weeks ago and stopped again several weeks ago and then restarted again uh, uh, last week. And so um, we've, we've been working through the little letter that Paul wrote called First Thessalonians. And in this letter, uh, man, he accomplishes a lot. I don't know if you guys have enjoyed this series, but I have. It's, it's, a, it's a book that I've been wanting to uh, preach through for um, a lot of years, actually, and just never kind of fit in right. And, and I'm so happy that it worked out that uh, over the last few months, we've, we've got to work through it because it's just been really an uplifting book to me. This is a book, uh, you know, it's, it's rare to come across a letter written by Paul where... Um, where he's like just kind of head over heels crazy about the people that he's writing to. Like he just loves this group of people so much. Usually he's writing letters, not that he's not crazy about the other people, but usually he's writing letters that are like, you guys are screwing up, stop it, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and this one is a church that he just, he just loves and he sees the fire of the Holy Spirit evident in their lives and just wants to keep encouraging that and, and you know, maybe answer a few questions that they had, that sort of thing. But it's really, really just a... I found it kind of a very encouraging letter. Um, and so this is what's going to happen. We're, we're gonna, I think it's going to be short today. You guys know the deal. After lots of years of me as your pastor, that whenever I say I think it's going to be short, it, it usually isn't. But I think it's going to be short today. Because I'm going to skip all the preliminary uh, telling a little story about myself and, and uh, giving a good illustration that's humorous and all that kind of stuff. I'm gonna, what was that? Oh, good. <laughs> so I'm just going to get straight into what... <laughs> Thanks, Wes. Uh, I'm just going to get straight into uh, what Paul has to say here, because he does a really good job here in this, these last handful of verses of just kind of wrapping up this, this letter and, and, and um, almost kind of reviewing a lot of the things that he's talked about, that we've talked about over the last several weeks, you know, issues of unity and purity and all, all kinds of other things. But he just kind of gives this really great little closing statement. And, and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll start with verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. And, uh, and so he just closes it out with this. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, Wes. Uh, and, <laughs> <just teasing. laughs> and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So it's kind of this kind of a grab bag, this catch-all of, of a closing advice, you know, that he kind of pours into this one, one little paragraph. And he's, he, he's just like, again, this is a church that he loves, that he's very pleased with, and he, but he just wants to, like, you ever, you ever have that conversation with your kids where, where you're like, Giving them all this advice, we, we, you know, our kids were at the Mayfair, one of our kids especially was at the Mayfair 
earlier in the week, and we're, we're kind of giving all the mom and dad advice of maneuvering away, maneuver, maneuvering around the Mayfair and, you know, what to watch out for and how to be careful and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and you, sometimes that advice kind of exasperates your kids. Like, when do I not do these things? What do you think? I'm just going to go suddenly start doing drugs at the Mayfair or, you know, whatever. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. But I, as dad, need to cover the bases. And I just want to say this stuff, right? And I kind of feel that's maybe a little bit of where Paul is right now. You, you guys are a great church. You know, like I, I use that phrase, I'm preaching to the choir all the time. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. You guys are on top of it. Everything's, there's nothing broken here. But let me just say this, like, keep on that same track. Don't lose sight of who you are and who God has called you to be. And let, like, do this and do this and do this. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So look the part, you know. And, and he's given that, that kind of last-minute closing letter advice. And, and there's just something really, I don't know, fatherly about it, motherly about it. There's something really beautiful about him, you know, sharing with this church that he loves so much and that he's so pleased with. Still these little bits of advice, like you guys know who you are. And, and in case you ever forget, let me put it pen, pen to paper and remind you, this is who you are. This is who you've been called to be. And, and so here, here's the big, the big point for today is this. Actually live the life. That's it. Just like, like actually live the life. Like we've been called to be followers of Jesus Christ. And it's not enough for you to just get, kind of check a box on a survey and say, I'm a Christian. It's not enough for you to, to, to have a church that you say, yeah, I have a church or whatever. Like, like God didn't call you to be a part of Living Hope Church per se. That's not the overarching story of your life. God didn't call you to, on surveys, just check a box that says, I'm a Christian. What God has called you to be is a a true follower, disciple of Jesus Christ. So, so actually live the life. And, and, there's, and we, have, we have muddied the waters so much, man. We have, it, and it's because we, we live in this age of, and I'm probably guilty of it from time to time myself, but we live in this age of where we want to present a gospel that seems approachable, that seems easy. And by the way, following Christ is approachable. There's, there's nobody here who can't follow Jesus. There's nobody here who can't follow Jesus. That's not to say that things about your life might, need to not, might not need to change. Like, like God is in the business of changing lives. And we say that, we throw that, 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 that phrase out, you know, God is in the business of changing lives. We throw that phrase out kind of willy-nilly. And we're like, because in our mind we're thinking, yeah, change lives, we're taking bad people, turning them into good people, or, or we're taking sad stories and turning them into happy stories. And we love those changed lives until we're the one being changed. And then it's like, get away. I don't want to be changed. I'm fine. I don't need your help. And, you know, all, all, we just, it makes us, un- like the person being changed, it's a rough road for that person at times. At times, it is, it is difficult to kind of hand over parts of yourself. You don't, you're not quite ready to hand over to a God who, who wants the best for you and wants to, to, to you to live a, a full and beautiful uh, Christ-centered life. But in the moment of being changed, nobody likes to be changed. I remember um, when Isaiah was, uh, was young and, uh, you know, when he first started playing like community football and stuff like that. And, and, um, and you know, so he gets into the starts practices and, and at first, man, he hated it. Just absolutely hated going to football. I remember a couple, it was one of those things I knew as dad, I knew he was going to hate it. I knew he was going to hate it. 
when he asked to sign up, I was like, you're going to hate this. I didn't tell him that necessarily, but I just knew as his dad, he is not going to like this. And so, but, but he wanted to sign up. He was begging to sign up. I was like, okay, here's the deal. If, if I let you sign up for football, you will finish this season. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Okay, I, I just want to reiterate one more time. If I let you sign up for football, you will finish this season. I know, I know. Okay. So he's fifth or sixth grade, whatever he was. And, and, uh, and, and before very long, I'm driving him to football practice with him. Ju- it's like what the Bible describes as hell, like weeping and gnashing of teeth, like that whole thing, you know? And, and I mean, he is just, I don't want to go. How do you make me go? And all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, he's probably going to listen to this podcast and kill me later. But, um, but, but it was that sort of thing. And I remember just kind of shoving him out of the car, crying, like, have fun, you know? And, <laughs> and there's... But here's the thing is like once, once he got to games, he was like, oh, this is great. I love games. And I remember talking to uh, the coach before, Wes, uh, uh, Scott Winslow, and, and Scott was telling me, he's like, yeah, here's the thing about football. Like other sports are fun to practice. Football is not necessarily fun to practice. It's just a grind. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. It's, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and I, I just remember thinking that sometimes the Christian life is a little bit that way too where it's easy to be a Christian for this hour on Sunday, right? It's super easy to be a Christian when we're all in here singing songs together and patting each other on the back and high-fiving one another and, and listening to, like, the most amazing sermons you've ever heard in your life and, and you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. So anyway, but, like, when, when we're in this room on this hour on Sunday, it is, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When you're out in your relationship with God, doing kind of the back and forth with God, and, and God is in the business of smoothing out the rough places of your heart and actually changing your life into something and someone that looks more like Jesus Christ, sometimes that's a bit painful. Sometimes that's a, that's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't want to go through those changes it would, you know, it, it would be really great if when we just decided to follow Jesus, like we were just magically, <laughs> delicious popped in my mind, but that's not the right phrase, <laughs> magically, fine. What's magically delicious? Lucky charms, lucky charms. Okay, right, right. Magic. <laughs> okay, sorry. So like, so just, just magically better, magically, <laughs> magically, uh, you know, Christ-like, um, like, that would be really, really great if that's what happened, but that's not what happened. Instead, we, we come to Christ as we are. He, he embraces us and accepts us as we are. He doesn't expect us to be perfect overnight or in an instant or anything else. He just, he takes us as we are. And then he begins the slow, and hard, sometimes painful work of making us over into people who begin to look like him. And it takes a whole lifetime. It takes a whole lifetime for him to kind of get into our lives and just little by little smooth out the rough spots, little by little make us more loving, make us more kind, make us less selfish, make us, you know, more whatever. We, we, we go through that process. And, and we have muddied the water. I told you this was not going to be short when I thought it was going to be short. We have muddied the waters of kind of presenting the gospel so much that We've kind, of, we've kind of made the gospel call this kind of, you know, hey, just come and join and everything's going to be wonderful and you're just going to, you're going to be so happy and it's just going to be so great. And there's definitely days that are like that. Absolutely, days that are like that. 
We compare it to like, I mean, the Bible, there's, I think, I love that the Bible compares relationship with Christ to a marriage so often, right? Because there are days in my marriage that are, and your marriage, I'm not going to throw myself under the bus, I'm throwing all of you under the bus right now. There are days in my marriage that are beautiful, amazing, so romantic, steamy even, right? Like just unbelievable days in your marriage where it's just like, oh man, I'm so glad this woman or this man is in my life and you're just... You're just so in it. And then there are days when you're like, you're plotting murder, right? <laughs> and it's just, and, 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 and both of those things can be true. Both of those things can be true. And, and if they're the same, yeah, you're, 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 you're too new. You're too new. So, like, we, here's the thing is that we, we have to, when we engage in this, what the Bible calls a marriage between us and Christ, there are days when it's, when it's beautiful and it's easy. It's those mountaintop experiences, those, those spiritually high experiences, that, you know, that sort of thing where it's just, ah, I love following Christ. And then there are days when it's like, I'm, I, just, I just need to focus on putting one foot in front of the other right now and not giving up. That's it. If, if I can just not give up on my faith today, today will be a win, Right? And, and so we kind of we go through those days, too. And yet Paul has the audacity to make a big list for us. Go ahead and put that next slide up. He makes a big list for us of all these things that we just read. And, and he's like, you know, do all these things. And, 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 and he says, you know, like actually live the life. You guys know what the life looks like. You know what life in Christ looks like. Even though you can kind of pretend and hedge your bets and go, well, you don't got to do this. You go, I don't have to be perfect. It's okay if I'm a little bit of this. And Paul stands back and goes, live the life. You know what it looks like to follow Christ. Just live the life. Like fully give yourself over to him. Like quit being Christian just in, you know, what you say and start being a follower of Christ in what you actually do. Start living the life. And there's a phrase in this paragraph that I want to focus on for the, for the rest of our time. And it's, it's kind of buried down there, about three-quarters of the way down. And the reason I want to fo- focus on this phrase is because I think it actually sums up the entire paragraph here. And it's that little phrase that says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. And I think everything else in this paragraph you could lump underneath that heading of do not quench the Spirit. I, I grew up, you know, in church land, hearing that phrase thrown around from time to time. You know, well, I didn't want to quench the spirit. And, and here's here's who usually uses that phrase. Usually, worship leaders. Worship leaders like that phrase, or at least the ones I grew up around like that phrase of, you know, well, don't you know, don't quench the spirit. And usually, what they're saying is like, really get into worship, or you know, if you feel like the Lord is calling you to raise your hand while we're singing, then raise your hand. Don't quench the spirit. Or if you feel like, you know, letting out a shout, then don't quench the spirit. Or you got something to say, don't quench the spirit. All that kind of stuff. And it's usually kind of in the context of worship. And, and I guess that's fine and that's true. But I, I think do not quench the spirit has so much more, is about, is about so much more than just the way that we worship in this hour, in this place, on a Sunday, right? Do not quench the spirit. Like I, I think, this is what I think, if you're anything like me, you've become an expert at quenching the spirit 24-7. Like, like all day long, all throughout your week, except for this hour on Sunday, right? But all throughout your life outside of this room, you have become, become excellent at quenching the spirit in your life. I think that the Holy Spirit is 
Like, like if, if we believe the Bible is true, if we believe Christ is who he says he is, and we, we believe all this stuff that we're actually here gathered around today, then the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Spirit of Christ lives within you and I. That it, He doesn't live in this space. He lives in this space and in those spaces, right? That when we are together, we are around the presence of God in ourselves and each other and that sort of thing. Like this is, and so if the, if the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, lives in you, if that is ab- absolutely true, then how is he not like in your head and guiding you and trying to lead you all the time, day in, day out, do you think he's got some secret little room inside of you where he just kind of sticks, you know, stays out of the way and, and you know, then suddenly he's like, sweet, it's Sunday, 10 o'clock, woo, right? No, 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 like he is there, he is present, guiding you, leading you all the time, and we have become experts at quenching the Spirit, of silencing the Spirit in our lives. And I think, you, I mean, you walk, let's walk down this paragraph that we just read. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them highly in love because of the work they do. He's talking about pastors. He's talking about, in some churches, deacons or elders. Uh, he's talking about even your small group leaders, those who are pastoring over you in that capacity as well. He's talking about these people who have some degree or level of spiritual leadership over you in your life. He's like, actually reminding us that the Spirit leads you and wants you to respond to them in a way and respect them in a way and honor them in such a way that their leadership of you is a joy to them. The Spirit leads you to do that. Against your nature, by the way. Against your nature. I remember uh, when, um, I don't remember when this was, I think it was one, and during one of Jamie's pregnancies. And, you know, the doctor, you know, during pregnancy months, the doctor's always given, like, health tips and stuff like that. And I remember her, her, or him telling her, you know, uh, you know get out and, and, and walk. And he, say, he made this statement. He's like, your body wants to walk. Your body, all of our bodies literally want to be moving, and you have to force them to sit still. It's not the other way around. Your body actually wants to move. It wants to walk. So get out and, and, and do that. And, and I think the same thing is true. The Spirit of Christ living in you wants you, despite your rebellious nature, despite your uh, individual uh, you know, uh, Lone Ranger mentality, despite your aversion to authority, the Spirit living in you wants you to actually live in a beautiful relationship with those in spiritual authority over you, whether it's your group leader or your pastor or your elder or whoever else, right? The Spirit actually, and when you do that, there's a positive, there's, only, and there's, there's a bit of a, call it an endorphin rush or whatever, but there's something, there's some feel-good stuff that happens when you do that. Go to the next thing, he says, be at peace among yourselves. He's like, the, the Spirit living in you actually wants you and drives you towards peace, not towards gossip, not towards slander, not towards stirring up drama. No, he drives you and encourages you towards peace. The problem is that we have pushed down and, and suppressed that voice of the Holy Spirit in our life so often and for so long that it's now white noise. 
The Holy Spirit is just the white noise of our day. We hardly even recognize it. He says, he says we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And, and we, have, we have looked at the idle and the faint-hearted and the weak, and it's so much easier for us to do, like in the story of the Good Samaritan, and just kind of pass by on the other side when we see people in these situations and just ignore. Why? Because, because we live in these lives of suppressing what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying in our lives and encouraging us and leading us towards. And it's so much easier to just ignore. And for those of us who are all about you know, admonishing the idle and encouraging the faint-hearted and helping the weak, we, we ignore sometimes the, the second part of that, which is to, to be patient with all of them. The Holy Spirit says, yes, help those, but also know that they're not going to be fixed overnight. Be patient, be patient, be patient. Don't get so frustrated when, when, when people in this congregation or, or other followers of Christ that you know aren't right where you are at all times because guess what? You're not right where somebody else is either. It's all, it's all a matter of perspective. Be patient, be patient. But go ahead and admonish and encourage and lift up and help. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The Holy Spirit actually... you. Because of the Holy Spirit living in you, you are naturally inclined towards doing good for others. And you have to actively suppress that urge, the, the, the enemy in you, the laziness in you, the, the, the callousness of your own heart has to actively push that urge down because you've got God in you, dwelling in you, constantly pushing you towards that notion at all times. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, like this is the Holy Spirit naturally coming out of you. It's going to have you in a, in a spirit, of, in, a, in a place, a, a place of mind to be in praise and rejoicing, to be constantly in prayer, to be constantly in prayer. What does that look like? Like, I think people are oftentimes confused by that whole pray without ceasing thing. Like, I got to work at some point. I got to cook meals at some point. I got to, you know, whatever. Like for me, pray without ceasing is just that there is this constant mental dialogue going on between me and the Lord constantly while I'm driving, while I'm working, while uh, my kids are talking to me, while, uh, you know, whatever. Like, like constantly there's this dialogue going on between me and the Lord. It may not look like prayer. I may not be on my knees. My eyes may not be closed. But like I feel like the Holy Spirit is constantly downloading thoughts and direction into me if I have the patience and the mind and the spiritual ears to hear it and to listen to it. And just as it takes time and effort to suppress the Holy Spirit in your life, it also, once it's been suppressed and once your heart has become kind of calloused and you become an expert at quenching the Spirit, it takes time then to rework those muscles to where you can begin to hear the Holy Spirit again in your life. Let me, let me tell you how this has worked out in my life. Like, I have a feeling it's the, the, you could tell the exact same story about yourself in some way. God is constantly putting people on my mind. Many of you, just constantly putting people on my mind. It, throughout the day, sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes I'll just wake up almost wide awake, 3 o'clock in the morning with, with, with somebody in this congregation on my mind, or somebody, somebody from my past, maybe across the country or whatever, but somebody on my mind. 
And it's really easy because I've, I had become an expert at suppressing the voice of the Spirit in my life. It's really easy to just kind of blow that off and, you know, try to go back to sleep or try to, you know, get back to whatever task I was working on or whatever. And what I've learned over the last couple years is maybe there's a reason that person's in my head right now. Maybe there's a reason. And so I just do the simplest little thing. I'll just shoot a text. I'll just shoot a text and go, hey, and even sometimes maybe at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, just shoot a little text and go, hey, I don't know why, but you were on my mind right now. I just wanted you to know I said a prayer for you and hope you have a great week. Boom. Send. That's it. Right? And I can't tell you like literally 99% of the time the responses I get back from those texts are, oh, my gosh, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. Thank you so much for spending time. And then I can go, hey, let's get together and talk about it. And then it becomes interaction and ministry with a person that, really needed help but hadn't quite reached out, so the Holy Spirit reached out for them. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's, that's not a pastor thing. That's a follower of Jesus Christ thing. I think when that stuff happens in all of our lives, that is God trying to connect you to someone in need. Train yourself again to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit doing that. And on and on, every, all of this stuff throughout the rest of this paragraph, it all falls underneath that you know, don't quench the Holy Spirit. For those of us in, in, in growth groups this week, um, maybe your group went through uh, Acts chapter 2, which is this beautiful little chapter of uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's kind, of, kind of the way we refer to that chapter. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples when he ascended back to the Father, he's like, hang around here in Jerusalem. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And it's, everything's going to be great. Hang out so that happens, right? And so that's what they do. And so uh, uh, 120 or so of them are hanging out, you know, waiting for God to do what God said he was going to do. And then it happens. And then it happens. And it happens like this. It says, uh, Acts chapter 2, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire, little, little flames, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak, and so, so they began to speak in these, these uh, tongues because there were people from different, lang uh, different language groups sitting there. And so, you know, it was like I'm an English speaker, and all of a sudden, I'm, you know, somebody can hear me speaking in Spanish because they speak Spanish. And it was like God broke down all the language barriers in that moment. This is not some sort of weird heavenly tongue in this moment. This is just helping people from different language groups be able to understand each other. It's this really beautiful moment, right? What what this, this, this moment where we've read, you know, probably if you've been in church for very long, you've read it a thousand times, of these tongues of fire coming down and resting on these people. It's, it's, it's calling up an image that these people, all, who, followers of, of Yahweh, God, you know, these Jewish people, were very familiar with. And it was the image of when the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness and they established the tabernacle where the presence of God would be. And, and they had this major celebration ceremony type of thing of, of establishing that tabernacle. And in that moment, uh, what happens is kind of fire falls from heaven right over the place that they would call the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was to dwell in that tent. And so God tabernacled his presence. He sent his presence into that place. And so for, from that point on, and then later on when they adopted a temple system, if you wanted to get near the presence of God, you had to go to the tabernacle, you had to go to that tent, or you had to go to the temple later on. That's where the presence of God was. And now the game is changed. Jesus has come and he has done his thing. He has, he has, he has he's paid the price for our sins. He has 
given us new life in him through his resurrection and all that kind of stuff. And he's going to send this comfort. And what has happened is now God tabernacles, temples, his presence, not in a building, but in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls who have committed to follow him. And so fire falls from heaven again over these little temples these little temples, when you approach another person, when you approach another follower of Jesus Christ, you're not, I'm not just approaching Jesse, I'm approaching the very temple and presence of God. It's beautiful. And so here's the thing about this chapter that hit me while I was talking about it with my early morning group the other day, is that we, we take this passage of Scripture, this Acts chapter 2, and we make the Holy Spirit the star of that story. And I guess that's kind of okay. But I think there's actually another star here that, that we've neglected for a really long time in this story. So what happens after that is that Peter gets all kinds of bold and he preaches this really great gospel sermon. And then at the very end of that passage, of that chapter, in verse 42, we get this description of what the early church looked like. So Peter, Peter preaches his big sermon. 120 people gathered, turns into 3,000 a 3,000-strong church overnight, right? And this is the description of what happens next. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all, listen to this, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And then it goes on and saying they, they, they worship together, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. But take, this is, don't lose, don't lose this little point. The Holy Spirit, God begins to install his presence into the hearts and minds of his followers. And the very next thing that happens is these spirit-filled, unquenched people begin to look at the world around them and ask, what if? What if it doesn't have to be this way? What if this world doesn't have to be a world that's marked by power-hungry leaders taking advantage of people and, and rich people lording over poor people? What if, what if we could do something different? What if we began to work on bringing the kingdom of God to this place right now? What if we became a people constantly driven by that phrase that we've been talking about this year of how can I help? How can I help? What if we became a people? And so what they what the, what do they look like, like let's just hey let's do this. None of my stuff is my stuff anymore. It's your stuff too. I'll sell everything I have if that if if it means I can take care of some of you. They had all things in common. Because they were looking at the world through the eyes of the spirit unquenched going what if it doesn't have to be this way? What if the Spirit's driving me to do something different? Unquenched. And so many of us live our lives, like how many times have you felt the Holy Spirit rise up in your own heart and encourage you to do something big and bold like that? And you have become a master of suppressing that and pushing that down and going, yeah, that's not going to work for me in my situation right now. Or, you know, well, I'm a Republican and I'm not a socialist, so we're not going to go that route or, or, you know, whatever else. And all these different reasons and excuses begin to rise up in your head and you have become a master of suppressing that natural urge that is coming out of every temple in this room to look at the world and go, what if it doesn't have to be this way? What if God is calling me to do something different 
something countercultural, something that could actually make a difference. Like, what if, that was so good, the kids are cheering for that, man, that's good stuff. <laughs> like, what if, what if, like, what if you actually started living the life? You know what the life looks like. It's selfless, it's loving, it's generous, it's unified, it's pure, it's good, it's loving. And how many of us suppress that beautiful kingdom life that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring out of us in place of something that maybe fits into our surroundings a little bit better? If you're looking at the world around you going, why doesn't this look more like the kingdom of God when there are so many Christians? Let me just encourage you to join me this morning and start by looking at yourself. Start kind of cleaning out those spiritual ears and going, I want to hear what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me again. I want to hear it. Even if it goes against my life plan, even if it goes against what is common wisdom, even if it goes against my political leanings, even if it goes against whatever. Like, Holy Spirit, I want you to speak in me and through me and teach me how to live, actually live this life in a way that looks like me joining with Christ to bring about his kingdom right here and right now. That's the life he's called us to live. It's not casual. It's an all-in life. It's all in, but it's all in in really beautiful ways. Here's the thing. We get, we get so screwed up about that life. You know, we think, well, you know, somebody says, you need to actually start living like a Christian. Usually what they mean is you, you need to stop cussing, right? You need, you need to change your TV viewing habits. Jesus doesn't say any of that. He just says, go out and be love and be generosity and be beautiful and be kind and be unified and be pure and be all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some stuff to work out in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just go start seeing the world through the, through the lenses that I've given you because of the Holy Spirit I've placed in you to look at the world and go, what if it doesn't have to be this way? What could we do differently? What could we do differently? And then have the guts to actually do that. That's beautiful. Like that's a life I can get behind and give my life to like my life too. I want to do that. You know why I want to do that? Because it is, it's the Holy Spirit is just dying in me to do that. It just wants to come out looking that way. He just wants to come out of me in those kind of ways, and he is tired of me pushing him down. You're like, well, if it, the Holy Spirit of God, can't he just do whatever he wants? For some reason, God has given us the power to silence the Holy Spirit in our life, and that is not a good thing for us. <laughs> God doesn't want to control us like puppets. He, he, he gives us choice, and he gives us free agency over the things that we do, and that's a really good and beautiful thing. But the result of that oftentimes is that free will in us just pushing God back, distancing, distancing ourselves from him. I'm telling you, like, start exercising that muscle again and learn how to hear this voice that is constant in your life. You know how to, get, you know how to make... The Holy Spirit moved from white noise to an actual audible voice that you can kind of begin to hear and distinguish in your life and in your thoughts. You have to remove all the other things that are crowding it out. You ever do those sound experiences where you start taking out little pieces here and little pieces here, and then suddenly you can hear 
like the air conditioner blowing that you weren't noticing before or the lights buzzing that you weren't noticing before and you take all that stuff out, you remove all those distractions, suddenly you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit again and not just hear but respond. Respond. Let's be a people, let's be a church that is actually living the life that God has called us to live. Amen? I'm going to close this the way Paul closes this letter. Look what he says next in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word to us. And we, God, we repent one more time of those of us who claim to be your followers, who have become experts at turning off your voice, turning off your influence in our life and in our minds. God, help us to hear you clearly once more. God, remove whatever obstacles are in us that are keeping us from hearing you. Remove whatever attitudes that are in us to keep us from hearing you. We want to hear you. We want to actually live the life that you've called us to. So we give ourselves to you one more time and we ask you to lead us and to guide us in the way that is going to bring about your kingdom in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen.